Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Waiting List Podcast. On today's episode, we have Mark Hammerschmidt. Am I saying that right? <laughs> I think that's a B minus, but it'll oh. be okay. All right. So how, how do you actually say it? What did you say? Hammerschmidt. Hammerschmidt. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you hesitated, that's, but yeah. that's all right. All right. So he is better known as at Watch Crazy Ham on Instagram. I think he summarizes himself pretty well on his profile, actually. He says, Brit with a bit of German living in the watch mecca of Hong Kong. So welcome, Mark. <laughs> Hi guys, thanks very much for having me. It's it's quite an honour actually. (laughs) I'm following in very mighty footsteps, I know that. (laughs) Do you actually listen to the podcast? I have listened, not recently, I have to admit. I I kind of just been so busy with other things, I forgot to sort of bother to make the time. But I have listened to quite a few um, as of about six months ago. Ah, I see. Very cool. So... um... I'm familiar with I am familiar with them yeah but it's just just I've got lazy that's all how did did you how did you actually get into it actually like if it's six months ago how did you become aware of us um I'd I'd always I'd always well I've known Lung Lung I wouldn't say I've known you very well but I mean we've been acquainted for a few years already now so I was aware of them and also because um Angus uh, who's a friend of mine Ah, has done a couple I think now has he Uh, mm. So I knew about those and I'd listened. To, I don't think I knew he'd done a second one, but it's certainly I've listened to uh, one of his anyway. Very cool. And uh, and then I did try to join the club that you're associated with. And uh, uh, I, I believe Hong Kong Watch Club. Yeah. No. Yeah. Is it Hong Kong Watch Club? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and that didn't go well. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. actually something I wanted to discuss in this um yeah. Um, yeah, I guess like in this episode and actually some of them listen to this. So this would be like an indirect. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So a bit of a weird way to start our conversation today, but I know your Instagram account actually got hacked earlier this year. Right. Yeah. Um, I never really asked you, like, how did you feel? I mean, I could tell that you sounded pissed off like on Instagram, but what actually happened and how do you feel? Um, it, totally my own fault actually when we say it got hacked uh, it's not quite the right description it got taken over because I responded to a message that appeared to be from a friend that said listen I've got I've been locked out of my account can you do me a favor just take a screen grab you don't need to do anything you don't need to open anything don't worry it's perfectly safe just a screen grab and at the time I was on my way home on the MTR and I think it was probably during one of the uh, the peaks of the, the fourth wave or the third wave or whatever it was. So I was a little bit edgy on the MTR because I'm old and vulnerable, you see. Uh, <laughs> quadruple vaccinated now, but anyway. Um, and so in my haste, I kind of just went, I did, at one point I did actually reply, why am I doing this? Because I'm pretty computer savvy. I'm not a silver surfer. Um, I used to build my own computer, so I kind of know what I'm doing. And I've never been caught out with a virus or anything like that before. Mm-hmm. But 
just he said oh no honestly it's fine and because it appeared to come from a friend who'd obviously also been uh, got the same way yeah. I just went okay I did it and next thing I get the notice from IG that somebody has accessed my account so I try to access the account to deal with it but they'd enabled two-factor authentication and that means you are locked out and it doesn't matter what you do IG don't do anything that the fact the automated help system is utterly useless and so um I was completely locked out nothing I could do and even when you try to send in the photographs that they ask you to do to gain access to the account doesn't work for half the time didn't even recognize me even though I had pictures of me on there and there's nobody else that looks like me except me uh so like what the fuck I mean seriously it was a real nightmare so yeah I was hacked off and all they did was put this stupid bitcoin i i made twenty five thousand dollars or whatever it was by from the dickhead bloke and that's it they didn't even do anything else with my account i mean it's just so frustrating because you know and then i thought do you know what why am i losing sleep over this actually what's the big deal why am i even on instagram um but did you have anything (laughs) private like in your inbox that you thought man like this can't get out (laughs) um no just the just the endless messages you get from these supposedly hot girls with yeah. ferraris and Ricky yeah, Mill. Yeah. <laughs> and then they ask you I, what watch would you recommend i buy for my uncle who helped yeah. me advise advise me and it's so sometimes i answer just to have a bit of a laugh but yeah. most <laughs> there was nothing compromising on there okay i don't do compromising i've got to be careful the wife's in the kitchen yeah, She's all right. Uh, I think, uh, Long Long, you have a lot of stuff which isn't compromising to you, but compromising to the sender, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That if they, got, if they, you know, if some of those screen gaps went out, it would look bad for them and not you, right? I actually, um, I mean, I connected with someone recently that I didn't really used to talk to, and she's in her early 20s. And she's now getting the wave of the same people that used to like I would say like harass me are now harassing her and she was uh just showing the brother and she never did anything and then recently she posted everything on IG stories and we were just talking about it and she said some of them now have created second accounts like new accounts going back to her to be like you better be careful because if you post this like we're coming after you and she's just like coming after me for what but yeah it's sad and then she's now changed her instagram stories to private and i just thought that sucks because you want to use it like a like you just want to you don't want to be controlled because you're like giving your power away to these people right but then you just got to be careful i guess yeah i mean the thing is getting a message from somebody you think you know that it it lures you into that trap doesn't it that's the thing and that's so easy about it and it's it it, the lesson for me was how frustrating instagram actually is when it comes to dealing with this kind of thing they're just there's no human you can talk to it's all ai led and ai mm, yeah right whatever that's that's a false acronym isn't it artificial intelligence yeah (laughs) (laughs) well anyway there we go so that that was that but um i don't use stories i don't use in fact i don't really know how to actually here's confession i'm a bit (laughs) old when it comes to that and i don't video reels i don't like the way instagram is becoming like tiktok i know that's a common theme amongst people they really don't like and i hate 
I don't, I refuse to do little stupid videos, <laughs> except of the Tudor bracelet that I did modify. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's about the only one I've done. Oh, I think I did a wrist roll of an AP as well. Yeah. I think, I think the uh, reels is like popular amongst a certain demographic, but if I think for the watch lovers out there, it, it doesn't really resonate. Like it just goes away from, the best parts of Instagram, right? If you're a watch, well, it was just photography, wasn't it? It was yeah, an exactly. instant picture. That's even the devil's in the detail, isn't it? Anyway, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, okay. The way so let's get a bit into your watch collecting journey. I actually don't think, like, we have ever sat down to say, "Hey, how did it start?" and everything. So, yeah, how did you end up in Hong Kong, and then how did you get into watches? Uh, the, the two are linked a little bit, actually, um, but um, getting into watches probably happened first. Uh, I'd always kind of liked watches. I'd been interested in, on and off in watches. I had a Calvin Klein chrono at one time, uh, which is quite cool, actually. It was a quartz watch, but it was you know, it looked cool. And um, back in the eight, 80s, I think it was, I had a Tag Heuer Sports Elegance, which had quite an unusual looking bracelet but again it was a quartz watch mm -hmm. that was the limit of my knowledge uh, and my dad's pocket watch which we may talk about a little bit more later but um which is this old Langer and Zerner that I used to steal and take to school with me when I was a kid uh, so there is a story with that and and that was my awareness of, of watches and then a friend gave me an Amiga um, which would have been as early 70s Amiga. So it was an Amiga Genet, if I remember, and it had a brown dial. And that was the watch that really sparked my interest a bit more because he was also interested in watches. He's a, he was my best friend and sadly he passed away a few years ago now, which is a real shame. So he can't see my collection, how it's grown, but he was the one that really inspired me. And, it, and so then um, my the reason I came to Hong Kong and the, the connection with that is that my my wife is from China and uh, we met in London. Okay. Uh, she used to work nearby me and uh, I stalked her, I think, at one time when she had to go to a park to eat her lunch. And then I was I was summoning up the courage to ask her out. And uh, but she was eating and I didn't want to disturb her slurping on her noodles. And um, so I kind of turned my back on her for a, a moment and then when I turned around again she'd gone like my whole world collapsed but anyway because she worked nearby I was able to sneakily manage to meet up with her again anyway so we started dating and we moved in together and blah 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 and then a job opportunity came up in Hong Kong a little bit discriminated against being Chinese unfortunately London mm -hmm. you know a bit like that and um, and an opportunity to corporate banking job on her cv came up mm -hmm. she decided to take a job over here in hong kong mm -hmm. um so we decided that we would just do that for a, a couple of years at the most get the experience on a cv and then she would come back to the uk and we'd carry on mm -hmm. uh but that was 2008 and of course the layman brothers crash meant that everything changed yeah. so all of a sudden there was nothing for her to come back to uk for 
so we decided to do long distance which we then did for sort of four and a half years i think we would wow. to and fro all the time there were, that was the era of budget flights to hong kong there was an airline called oasis, oasis. Yeah. yeah great flights as well air new yeah. zealand cheap flights as well so it wasn't expensive to come here so I to and fro a couple of times a year and she would do the same, but eventually uh, things just couldn't carry on like that. One of us had to move. And, and obviously, as you know, for any English person moving to Hong Kong is this, it's, it's an easy transition, just the heat and the smells and the different cuisine that you need to get used to. Oh, and Cantonese, of course, yeah, which isn't yeah. easy. But other than that, everything is very English. It's very familiar. It's yeah. very easy to move here. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. um, but the watch journey, meanwhile, um, I don't know if I should talk about this or not. But anyway, uh, I went to Beijing with my wife at one point. And as you do, you go to the Xuxue market in Beijing mm -hmm. and you see all the fake watches and the fake yeah. handbags and everything else. And I bought a fake Panerai. Okay. And really, that set me on a on a very different road for a while, mm -hmm. uh, which led me to learning about how to service a movement. I, I say service a movement. I'm really skimping the surface because I don't want to disrespect watchmakers because it's a highly complex thing. But I did learn through fake watches how to strip and service a 2824 and 7750 movements, that kind of thing. And that really opened up. Uh, a whole world for me that I didn't even know existed really. Um, and that's, that was the, 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 the catalyst. So the catalyst was first of all, my friend giving me this old Amiga yeah. and then going to Beijing and seeing a fake Panerai. Mm. Yeah. So that's yeah. how I got that. Um, yeah. Like you, you had, you said that you had a Calvin Klein watch, um, yeah. and then, you know, you had a tag. Yeah. Uh, and then your friend gave you this Omega watch mm. and that really inspired you and he inspired you. How did he inspire you? Why did that watch inspire you? What was so um, difficult about that? It, just because he was quite enthusiastic about watches, uh, but uh, he was looking at more affordable watches. So he was looking at things like uh, Olek and Vax, for example, do some... Mm -hmm affordable military style chronographs they mostly use uh, generic movements uh, and sometimes they only have mineral glass as well so they're relatively cheap in the scale of watches but he was passionate about them he loved them and uh, and he just we had quite a I say we were quite close friends so if he latched onto something I would tend to sort of follow on a little bit really I, I can't explain it more than that it's um I'm also a, an amateur mechanic and I've restored quite a lot of cars in the past. And so watches have a lot in common with cars, although the car engine analogy, when you talk about watch winders is a load of crap. But anyway, um, a car is, a, you know, a watch is a mechanical device. A car is a mechanical device. And so that was also part of it. Yeah, it's interesting but, because like, uh, it's not too dissimilar to how I got into watches because, like, I think when you have a friend that is so enthusiastic about something and can deliver the touch points that touch them that got it that got them into watches, because otherwise, I don't know. Like, you're from the UK, I'm from the UK. You used to just go around looking at goldsmiths and all these other like jewelry stores and looking at watches, yeah. but they were literally just the product in front of you and no story. And maybe there was like a 
not even a banner maybe just that little section in the shop window there was a picture of a guy with a racing car and that was like literally the only communication you got like from the brand right you just go through the store it wasn't like they were they really didn't give you that kind of the story that entices you but when you have somebody that knows the stories knows what you know, got them into watches and they tell you, and that's exactly what my friend did. You know, he, he brought like a Rolex date just from, um, from new bond street. And yeah. yeah, he told me about it. And then I was like, I was, I was hooked from that moment. And then, you know, it's like, I come across watches way before that, but there was never that hook to kind of make me even question anything, you know? And, and I was like probably primed to be quite like hooked because it's funny you mentioned Calvin Klein because as soon as you said that, I thought about Adrian from Barking Jack. Yeah, me too. Yeah, really? yeah right. <laughs> yeah, because he, I think he, I think he said Gucci watch or Calvin Klein watch or something like that. And I was in that episode with uh, Adrian. I was saying that one of the watches I wanted to get when I was a kid was this rectangular Emporio Omani watch. Right. Yeah, on right. the bracelet. Yeah. I used to look at it, and it was. I still remember the price of it. It was 185 pounds. Um. But for, to me, you know, as a kid, you know, still in school, that's a lot of money. You know, I didn't even get that much money, you know, for Christmas. Um, <laughs> yeah. But none of it's weird. Like, it's so interesting to hear like how just even think about how communication has changed so much. Right. Now we have like the Instagrams of the world and you get way more information, you know, from the caption and the photography than you ever did. You know, back then you just literally saw the product. And if you liked it, you liked it. And you went in. That was it. Well that's it. The, the Calvin Klein, I, I think at the time it spoke to me because I, I really love modern design. I love modern architecture. Um, so Richard Rogers and, and uh, Norman Foster buildings are something I'm very uh, much in love with that kind of design style. And the Calvin Kleins at the time were really unlike any other watch. And I wasn't I never really, I mean, I was aware of who Rolex were, I suppose, but I certainly wasn't interested in watches enough to really know anything about a Rolex uh, at that time. So we're, we're talking about the late 80s, uh, early 90s, probably when I had this Calvin Klein. And it was, it was, I would have seen it in a shop window. I wouldn't have even, because we didn't have the internet back then, did we? In the 80s? Nah. No, yeah. not not to the. We probably had very basic internet in the early nineties. Fifty-six K. Uh, God, fifty-six uh, K V ninety. We were opening. We were opening up like pages on the web browser, waiting for them to load, yeah. so that yeah. you wouldn't have to wait. You know what I mean? I, I don't know if people actually understand what I'm talking about, but you know, back in the when dialogue was there, you were opening up multiple pages and links so that you wouldn't have to keep waiting. You know. I yeah. downloaded tracks on Napster and they would take about oh. two hours for a <laughs> track. If you were lucky, if it didn't Napster. buffer and then break up and you lose yeah. half of it. God. Yeah, I mean, people will listen and say, like, I'm sure, like, when you said CK, like Calvin Klein, I was not even I was like, oh, papooing it. But back then, that was like Calvin Klein's heyday. You know, they, yeah. they hit it off with the underwear. Everybody was wearing that fragrance in school, like CK1. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody had that fragrance. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? I do. I do. CK1, yeah, absolutely. Sadly, now, talking of fragrance, we'll allude to that later. But anyway, yeah, uh, the, there is another brand name that, oh, God. Anyway, it's to do with Richard Mill, but we'll 
we'll, uh, oh, we'll right. yeah, I'm digressing. Sorry. And no, that let's, was, let's uh, come back to that later. Um, yes, let's do that. I want to talk about your role at Mr. Chrono. So you, obviously you oh, meet yeah. a lot of collectors and you yes. see all kinds of watches. Yeah. How would you describe, um, I would, yeah. How would you describe the watch scene to someone visiting Hong Kong, like a foreigner? Are there a specific oh, traits you see in them, like Hong Kong collectors or even the watch clubs here? Most, uh, I mean, of course, it's for, for most Hong Kong people. The, the, there's a great many people who are interested in watches here who are not watch collectors, um, but everybody knows what a Rolex is here. Mm -hmm. um, and most people, it, from my understanding, is most people aspire to have one. Uh, and a great many do. So if you are coming here as a, as a foreigner, as an outsider, that's one of the first things you'll notice that everybody's, not literally, but everybody's wearing a Rolex. The girl in the supermarket checkout's got one. The girl on the TV who does the news and the weather's got one. Um, are they real? Actually, yeah, nine times out of 10, they are real. That's not to say that there aren't the occasional counterfeit watches being worn here, but that's not done blatantly. Um, so that's the first thing you have to sort of get your head around. And then how many watch shops there are here? I mean, just literally one on every, one. There's a street in Wan Chai. Is it Causeway Bay? What's uh, Hennessy Road? Is it or Johnson Road? Hennessy Road. Um, there's probably a watch shop every 20 meters. Mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, in terms of watch collectors, Gosh, then now we're we're on another level. Um, I've met customers who have got some of them are involved in the clubs, uh, and some of them are not, and probably for good reason too. But uh, some of the watches I've seen here, I would I can't imagine seeing them anywhere else. There's some collectors here with some astonishing watches, um, and in my job, yeah, gosh. Uh, what a way to see out your golden years, eh? doing something that, that's really a passion and getting paid for it. Mm -hmm. um, I, won't, I won't say that the working at Mr. Crono has many other benefits. <laughs> but one strong piece of advice, never work for the French, especially for the British. It just, yeah. oh, it's horrendous. But... Uh, <laughs> Right, but, I've got a question. Like, what? I don't care what I say. <laughs> it's just I got a question. Moving on quickly. Um, yeah. What's what watch have you seen recently, or you know, yeah. comes to mind that really just took your breath away, and you think, oh, I don't know when I'm going to see that again. Oh gosh, Grubel Forcey. Yeah. Okay. Which without, one? Without any shadow of a doubt. Uh, well, actually, not one that came into the shop. Um, if you if you're talking about something that came into the shop. I had one customer with with a, a tsunami, Hajime Asaoka yeah. tsunami watch. My God, it's the only, probably the one and only time I'll ever actually physically see one of those. Grubel Forsey, um, you can go and see those. There are shops that carry mm. them. His prestige in the peninsula is, is Grubel Forsey's agent now. Yeah. And yeah. so they've got stuff in the basement. But I've had customers come in with Grubel Forsey. Yeah. Um, you posted this blue dial paddock that was a minute repeater perpetual calendar. oh yeah yeah with the breguet yeah. numerals yeah. yeah uh that that's a customer he actually well he's got some other absolute gems he came into the shop and he had them all in his bag 
he had some MBNFs, uh, the Alan Silberstein mm. uh, yeah. collaboration, oh, which I didn't even yeah. know Silberstein had done. Yeah, and uh, he had two of the three Silberstein. I'm assuming he's got all three, mm-hmm. but he just had two of them in his bag. Um, in his bag. I mean, they're just in a bag. <laughs> What's wrong with people? You can't just throw them in a bag. And they're all in little Rolex pouches. They're not even in a decent watch roll. <laughs> But okay, to be honest, like, what would you put it in though, to be discreet? Because you're not going. Well, I, mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to plug. Yeah. But you know, a phase de Lune watch case is probably the best one wow. you'll ever buy. <laughs> <laughs> they're um, they're oft copied and and usually yeah. not very well. Um, mm. Yeah, wrist wrist checks got a sort of a copy version, yeah. which is quite nice. They give them away. Uh, some of the gatherings, mm-hmm. I think that's because they got the cushions were a bit too big. I think that's <laughs> what gave them away. Sorry, Austin. I love your honesty. <laughs> no, I love this because no, it was fantastic. We went. I went to their opening night um, bash, and uh, they handed you a bag, and it had a it had a water bottle in there. I'm not quite sure why. What would you do with that? It's quite useful though because it's a large size. <laughs> And it had a, a two watch roll in the gray, the signature mm-hmm. gray leather with the, the turquoise interior. Yeah, yeah. But the cushions are so big, I couldn't get a watch on there. Yeah. So, and, I re- and then it occurred to me, maybe they were giving these away because, because it was the wrong size. It was the wrong order and they couldn't do anything with them. They didn't want to chuck them in the skip at the back of Landmark. <laughs> so they came up with this idea, we'll have a goodie bag. <laughs> So everybody's are these, are these, uh, like, struggling to get their watches right now. Bloody <laughs> anyway. Are these uh watch rolls uh provided by the watch stand or are they no, his own uh, creation? No, no. Uh I, I don't know. I think they they they've got his mark on them. I uh, I do text. believe they are the watch stand. Are they the oval, right? Do you want me to go and get it? I've got it handy. Oh sure. <laughs> it, sure. It's the oval wait a minute, it's the oval gray. Case. I'm, I'm sure. I think uh, I know. It's like a, yeah, it's like an oval case yeah, that holds yeah. two watches. It's yeah. very short, and it yeah. pops stud opening. And inside, you've got two cushions that you uh, ah yeah, you can prize yeah. them open. Yeah. But yeah. everybody copied Phase Deloon. I think Phase Deloon were the people that came up with that concept. And Phase Deloon's cases are, are have a cushion that you can squash. Oh, because they're like the Rolex mm. box cushion, which is designed mm. to fit in a bracelet watch. Mm. So you just squash the cushion and slip the watch over the top. But if you've just got an oval cushion, well, if you've got a small wrist, then you're you're stuffed if yeah. you can't compress yeah. the thing down. Yeah, so I'm, I think- I'm a big fan of the Bennett winch. Sorry? Uh, the Bennett winch one, which is like a hexagonal. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it rolls oh, yeah. out and it adds like yeah. a mat for you to put your watches on. Yeah. Admittedly, it's not like individual cushions, uh, but it does, because of that, allow the watch case to be significantly smaller, which I think is makes it more portable, personally. Now, but the only problem is, is it's pretty expensive. It's, it's like these things are so expensive, right, for what they are. The phase de Lunes are, uh, for a two watch, you're looking at two and a half thousand. For a three watch, it's almost four or mm-hmm. uh, yeah and for a throw no three and a half something like that so it's it's just over a thousand dollars per watch mm-hmm. well when you're yeah. talking about putting watches in there that are a minimum of i don't know these days what's the minimum yeah. value for a watch a hundred thousand is a reasonable mm-hmm. minimum for a new watch 
I mean, well, that depends on what level of collecting you're at, I suppose. But, uh, you know, it's a nothing cost, really. Yeah, yeah. Because you only need to buy it once. You don't. It's not like they wear out and you have to replace them every couple of years. It's not like a watch strap. And you're I talking, have, um, you know, three and a half, four thousand dollars for a strap. I actually prefer the ones that you can take out the individual. Like you still have the roll, but there's some sections you can pull out and bring this individual one, like somewhere else. Oh, you talking? There's a little. There's a, there's one we sell from a local brand actually that. The horology club have paired with as well. And is it bezel hold? Bezel hold, yeah. He yeah. has one called a capsule. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. the central one is a single little container yeah. as well. Yeah. But again, the cushions are a fixed size. So yeah, but I think that, I actually yeah, told him the same. Yeah. They're pretty cool. Two thousand yeah. dollars for the the three watch one. We actually sell those in our shop All right. as well. Um, we can't sell his other ones because they they compete with Phase de Lune. And so there's a limit to what we can sometimes sell if it competes with another product that's mm -hmm. superior. So like Rubber B, we sell Rubber B, but we oh. can't sell Everest because oh, okay. Everest and Rubber B directly compete and Rubber mm. B would take away our official dealer status. Oh, interesting. We have to be a bit careful because we don't want yeah. to upset big, well-known international brands. And frankly, Rubber B are better than Everest, not by much, but, yeah. but enough that it's a difference. Okay. So, um, yeah. So earlier on, we spoke about watch clubs and the difficulty of joining them. Why have you not considered starting one? And then if you did start one, how would you run it? What do you think the issue is now? Is it the size or like how to control the number of people who join? Wow. Yeah. Um, the, the watch club, um, Jason, I think is, is one of the guys that yeah. organized that. Yeah. Um, they came to interview me, um, yeah. for, to, to join that. But unfortunately it was such a busy day in the shop unusually yeah. that they were sat around waiting for like an hour. And I, I just didn't even get the chance to be able to sit down and chat with them. And I think that kind of, that was, that it was my one chance. Right. Um, drinks in the shop, um, which we did once a month. We would lay on some cheese and, and cold cuts and, and some wine. Uh, um, and it was, it's difficult to promote here. Um, and the problem with working at the shop is you're expected to wear a great number of hats. Um, and I just was finding it a struggle to get things organized like that, do the social media pages, do the stock, the inventory and run the shop. I, I was kind of, um, it, it was just so difficult. I, I, these evenings kind of fizzled out. Uh, also because we were expected to stay on after working hours and, uh, you know, then you get home late. My colleague and I, neither of us drink either. So it was a, a lot of reasons why it wasn't, wasn't easy to, to set up a social evening like that. Mm -hmm. um in regards to the clubs that are, are around now the the horology club and you've got luoxo as well yeah. and the horology club was started by three guys helbert carlos and jonathan mm -hmm. who I, I think helbert and carlos have come from singapore but i'm not sure about that i'm sure one of them has anyway and I don't know how they actually got it started, but it's taken off uh, big time. Now they've got about 200 members. Yeah. And I think one of the problems with that is there are just too many members. Um, the WhatsApp group that they've got 
um, you have to mute it sometimes just because otherwise it's just ding, ding, ding with endless messages. <laughs> and um, I think also there's a, an element of, there's a, because they probably some of them are going to listen to this, an element of some light to show off a bit mm-hmm. um, with their new watch acquisitions. And it just seems to be unlimited amounts of money people can spend in the club. Mm-hmm. Um, and where some members perhaps don't have access to the sort of money that others do. And it can be, ah, I don't know, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, I think they should limit the membership, I think yeah. is one thing I would say. There should be, and there should be an application process to go through a, a bit of a screening process. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the only advice I could give. It's, it, I wouldn't yeah. want to do it myself because I know that having been the chairman of a photography club here for a few years, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, an, it's a thankless task, which you're expected to, to work miracles and don't, and, and you have to do it all in your free time. So the guys that run the horology club, I know it's not easy for them. Mm-hmm. But the good thing about it is it's free. It, you only pay when there's an actual get together yeah. where mm-hmm. by contrast, Luoxo club run by Thierry um has quite a high membership fee and then you have to pay on top of that anyway yeah let me shut up for a moment (laughs) no i I agree because like we had uh, probably over 200 people in shanghai watch gang as well and what you found was the ding 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 thing was like just incessant you know just constant and it the way that those chats work i mean it's pretty much similar to whatsapp is you have to end up like you miss a message and you'd have to scroll back up to get the drift of the conversation. Yeah. Um, and then by the time you've got the conversation, the conversation's moved on. Right? <laughs> and another thing was, um, you're right. Like, there was a certain amount of posturing. Like, mm-hmm. and whether or not, you know, it was, how can I say it? It's like, you couldn't say it was wrong, you know, because someone's just celebrating their new watch alert. But what I found was it quietened, those people that didn't have the buying power of other people, they felt like they couldn't have a voice. And I know that isn't actually down to the person posting an expensive watch. You know, you know, if you're in a watch club, you know, you should have the confidence to, to speak up. But in reality, you know, a lot of people don't have that confidence to, you know, suddenly post a, <laughs> in my mind, I was going to say Seiko, but I'm just going to get murdered for it, right? No, like well, after I following actually, a no, following no, no, a Richard after... Mill, you know what I mean? Someone follows like a Richard Mill or a Patek Minute Repeater, and then someone posts a vintage Seiko or something. There wasn't always. It just wasn't. Well, I think everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? It's not that. Yeah, easy no, to I totally get, totally get that. Yeah, and it, it feels like how can you how can you post a, a six thousand dollar Hong Kong mm-hmm. watch when somebody's just posted a, a three million there's a post but it shouldn't be like that you're right but it does it does put people off it, it, it's got to the point where i don't bother posting very much in the whatsapp chat either and the other the other problem with these kind of groups is that when you interact with somebody because you have you can't see them you can't see the the facial expressions or body language comments can be completely misunderstood <laughs> misinterpreted you can come across as being a total dick um, when you're not meaning to be or being aggressive or uh, um, 
what's the word not um not aggressive not quite anyway do you know what i mean you can well, come can, across completely yeah. insensitive yeah. yeah oh yeah all of these things and then more um when that's not the intention and equally i can jump down somebody's throat because i've misunderstood what they're saying because i do have a habit of doing that because i'm old and grumpy one of the things about getting old is you do get grumpy <laughs> And intolerant of fools, and there are a lot of fools in the world. Um, and I'm, my wife just made a noise then. I don't know why, but um, she might be likening me to my deceased father, who had a, this. He was very impatient about fools. <laughs> like I don't know what I mean by a fool. But- just going back to also people posting like really amazing watches. At the same time, a lot of people would find that a lot of going to a horology club is one for discussions that take place. And the second is to see pieces that you wouldn't usually see. I mean, we kind of mentioned it earlier on the podcast, you know, how a group of forces can get you so excited. Unfortunately, you know, you do need a quite high economic value to, you know, financial power to afford one of those. And um, at the same time, you want to see those pieces. So it's a really hard balance I, I, I find to, to strike. And then I think, having done quite a few years of this like gatherings like watch collector gatherings you just find that at the end of the day so many different people collect in such a different way and nobody's wrong you know nobody's you yeah, can't say collects in a specific way it's just not to your taste and um i said this to long long as well in the end of it you, after you've seen x amount of pieces the magic kind of rubs off and then the second thing is you're quite happy with just having like three or four people you really get along with and you can talk yeah. about watches yeah. you don't need like the numbers you know that's, that's just my true. opinion yeah. no no i think i think I, and i think we all kind of maybe follow a similar pattern with watch collecting as well the the journey from the first watch until your end game watch as well is a similar experience for most people too but i think i think the club thing you're right, actually. Yeah, um, I didn't know the Shanghai Watch Gang had 200 members. God, right? That's how long has that been going? Oh, it's 2018, and yeah, right. Like 200 plus, like probably 300. You know, crikey. Yeah. Do you have regular meetings then, or is it all? Well, not since lockdown. Like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Because it just seems a bit inappropriate, but. I, I think, you know, Shanghai Watch Gang, like what we found is it is a thankless task, right? You, and you do put yourself up there to get shot down, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, you do. People put, yeah. you know, it's like suddenly, you know, why are you calling the shots, you know, for this for this thing? You know, who are you kind of thing? And it's oh, like, the politics. Oh, God. Yeah, people yeah. respect you yeah. for doing it as long as yeah. they find some benefit out of it. Mm. Yeah. You know? As soon as they don't, you know, they that kind of you make one wrong move, then it's it's like honestly, it's like get your handbags out. You know what I mean? Oh, like, is, like with the photography club, whenever we had committee meeting to select new members of the committee, nobody will volunteer ever, <laughs> and yet they'll complain that the committee members don't do the job properly. But they just won't. You know, it's just like an ongoing battle, thankless task. And then when you try and make a decision, because you're the chairman of the club. And that's kind of what you're there for. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't decide that we're going to do this. It has to be voted on and all this. Sort of, what? Yeah. Then why don't you join the committee yeah. then if you want it's to? It's really hard. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you kind of alluded to it as well. Like, yeah. I mean, just on the politics side, right? Let's say you you came around and you've already been a member and you want to bring someone over, right? And then I say, let's say, for example, I say no. Well, how do you feel about that? You know what I mean? Like, especially Chinese, you're not giving them face at all. Mm. So it's kind of like, it's hard to to control in that that aspect, I think. Yeah, it's totally, difficult. totally. Yeah. Utterly thankless task. So I, I try not to complain too much. I, I, I don't normally complain. I'm usually the one they complain about um, <laughs> because I'm a bit too outspoken. And I've, I, the, the <laughs> Jonathan's had to sort of privately message me and go, Mark, you need to just dial it back a bit, can you please? Because I'm getting other members are complaining. Oh, <laughs> all right then just tone it down so I've kind of I've I've dropped out of it to some degree now so occasionally I'll chip in with a comment but most of the time I mute it for eight hours and then mute it for eight hours and then, and then keep muting it <laughs> keep muting it, yeah <laughs> I think I think for like listeners out there that have never gone to one right like I'll never forget that that, that feeling of finally meeting someone that loves this as much as you and then having those conversations and then realizing oh, he actually thinks the same as me about certain watches, right? He sees the same thing or she sees the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll never forget that, uh, that initial feeling. So I would definitely say, you know, if, if you've not joined like a watch club, you should try and find, and, and also from a knowledge kind of a viewpoint, not everything is on the internet. Yeah. And um, you get a lot of viewpoints, you got a lot of inside information, actually, you get a lot of resources, you know, someone the says social like... side of it too, as well, the social aspect, when we have the GTGs um, and they're, you know, particularly well attended with, especially with the membership. Now, the last meeting we had was in a restaurant in Wan Chai. It was, uh, they booked the whole floor of an Italian restaurant, the 21st floor of, um, I've forgotten the building, but it was a very modern mm. building and a nice restaurant. So we had the whole place. And that we must have had, there must have been at least a hundred members there. So for the restaurant, it was a win-win. They were packed out. Uh, they obviously, you know, the, the money that was paid to them uh, covered their costs for the evening. The food was fantastic. And the variety of people there with the variety of watches there. I mean, it's just like a, a collector's paradise. It really mm. was. And, and in the context of a meeting, the attitudes and atmosphere is very different because you're there face to face rather than, you know, within a, a WhatsApp chat mm -hmm. thing, which is a wholly different thing. Before yeah. I forget the, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. no. Okay. No, I was just saying like, uh, yeah. I was saying that I was talking to. Well, uh, shut up, Lung Lung. You're talking too much. Sorry. Yeah, I am. I was talking to a friend about Shanghai <laughs> Watch Go back in the day. And, you know, um, if you look at the most of those people that well, I, I founded it with, you know, Austin's gone on, gone on to do wrist check and done, a, you know, an amazing things with his Instagram account. And then Andy Jang now is like CEO of China Watchbox, you know, having spent a, a stint at Langer and having done his like Langer Nation thing, you know, and, and I guess now I'm like with Philips, you know, being their consultant for China. So, you know, I was talking, you, you just never foresee it. You know, this, this, oh, this friend of ours has saw the progression. She's like, you know, she was just mentioning it that, you can see each other's personalities and how, you know, they may influence their decisions in their career pathway and how, how they're doing stuff. Yeah. You just never foresee that, you know, three people kind of messing around doing a watch gang and suddenly, you know, they kind of became pretty ingrained within the industry. 
Well, it, yeah, I mean, for me as well, I mean, landing the job I did, I mean, I can complain a lot about Mr. Crono. That, that's another matter. And that, that's more of a personal thing between me and having a French boss who perhaps doesn't think about his employees as much as he should do. But that, anyway, besides that, the just the sheer joy of being able to do your hobby and get paid for it. Mm. Yeah. Um, especially my situation, I had a lifelong career in dentistry. I, I'm actually a dental technician uh, by for sort of the last 40 something years. And um, I had been working in Knightsbridge and working in Harley Street prior to that in London before I came to Hong Kong. And that was kind of the, the, the height of my career and, and was really an ambition to have worked in Harley Street. So then to give all that up to come to Hong Kong was kind of quite a big step. But at the same time, I realized I'd peaked, I'd reached a ceiling that I just would never be able to get beyond because my creative skills were not good enough to go further. Mm. Um, so I'm making ceramic teeth and I'm working with gold and doing making implants and titanium and laser welding, all this kind of thing. But I knew there was a level at which I just couldn't, couldn't get above. Mm. So coming here kind of allowed me to have a have a break from that but I, I had a job for one year working at the most awful uh, on the one hand fantastic place but on the other hand the most awful place ever with the worst boss in the world ever um you realize oh my god honestly he was the most difficult person I've ever worked with in my 45 year career and now I only worked with them for a year and he made me redundant so I was working as a dental technician in a dental practice in worldwide house mm -hmm. and um it it was it was hard but because he made me redundant I was then unemployed for four years mm -hmm. and um a friend told me that Mr. Crono was looking for a new, they'd been advertising, looking for an employee and I should apply for it. So I handed my CV in thinking, well, this is easy. I'll get this. No problem. My CV reads like spent five years at, at this dental lab, skillful in ceramics, Noritaki porcelain, Straumann implants, worked with uh, this laser welder and that laser welder. It's like anybody reading this would go, what the hell is this? What's this got to do with watches? Like, has he done any retail sales job? Uh, has he had any customer service experience? No, I don't know. So not surprisingly, I didn't get a reply. <laughs> and um, But luckily for me, the boss was in the shop one day as I happened to be walking past. And I went in and asked him, had he seen my CV? Because I'd applied for the job and I hadn't heard anything back. And he said, oh, no, no, I hadn't. Uh, seen it so anyway I was able to talk to him uh, and so got the job thankfully yeah. so by accident I stumbled into it but yeah what a joy being able to work in the industry though and and I'm quite well known I get the Langer Boutique recommends their customers go and see Mark and Mr Grono when they need a strap Langer Boutique I mean <laughs> like awesome um if only they were a little bit more reasonable to their customers. Otherwise, can't, yeah, can't say that. No, just, just, I might spoil my chance of getting a data graph next year. No, but Mark, you, you're definitely well known because I knew about you, like Mark as a person, before I knew about Mr. Chrono. The first time I really, said I yeah. a strap and then Shoyo was like, hey, go look for this guy called Mark. 
And that's how that's really it. nice to know. Actually, I, t- I tell you, one of the I mean, I've, I've been made aware of this a few times, actually, and I kind of realized, but I made Mr. Grono in Hong Kong kind of Mr. Mr. Marno. <laughs> <laughs> when I first started working there, the first few days, um, both the boss and his I should well I suppose it's it's not uncommon knowledge but he's now ex-wife who was the two principal partners they were both there together and they told me off for spending too much time talking to the customers they actually told me off you said you're spending too much time talking to customers you shouldn't do that I said well but we're a boutique (laughs) shop surely you need to develop relationships with customers and their clients not customers so I think they I think they eventually did realize that this was perhaps was a good way to to try and build the company up. Um, although, of course, the the face of Hong Kong has changed dramatically. In the yeah. uh, it'll be six years I've been there this Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so customers have come and gone, and the shop. You know, I'm amazed we're still there. Actually, quite honestly, yeah. but we still we still we hang on. Um, I won't say times are good, but uh, we do we hang on, but yeah. we. We have every intention of keeping hanging on, which is nice. Do you um, mind um, going back to talk about that Rich and Mill story? It's just like in the back of my head. Like, what what hmm. is the story of Rich and Mill? Uh, which story is that? You mean the perfume connection? Uh, yeah, yeah, the perfume connection. Oh, uh, well, uh, because yeah. the because Richard Mill owns a perfume brand yes. called yeah, Henry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'm also addicted to perfume. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I've I have quite a collection of Henri Jacques perfumes and they recently did a collaboration a more direct collaboration with the the link to Richard Mill is a little bit um tenuous in that he is married to uh what is it the guy that owned or set up Henri Jacques is a guy called Henri Henri Cremona. And his wife, I think, is Richard Mill's wife's sister, something like that. So there's a family, a family connection. And I think Richard Mill has put money into Henri Jacques, but I'm, that may not be true. Um, but they have done a collaboration where they've got this thing called a flick flack, which is a, a, a case uh, made of titanium. There's one in carbon fiber. There's one in rose gold that contains a perfume uh, wax. So it's like a solid perfume. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the link is that Richard Mill makes this case with perfume in it. And you could buy that from Henri Jacques. So there's, yeah. And it's very expensive. Yeah, it's very expensive. So I wanted to know. something thousand dollars for this. Yeah. I I used to. Yeah. Because I even joked about it at the Richard Mill boutique. I was like, look, obviously can't bundle anything because it's a rich mill right so like how many bottles of perfume do i need to buy and they're like oh you can start off by going to elements and checking out the store and i was like hey, they're yeah. not joking at all like yeah but the yeah. place actually to buy Henri jack perfume right now just to digress but yeah. get it mail order from harrods because okay. the pound is only worth eight dollars 27 at the moment but how good like how good is it Oh, Henri Jacques perfume is just amazing stuff. It really is. Okay. It's just incredible. Um, is it worth the money? Oh, well, that's that's hard to say. The yeah. quality of the ingredients are are the very best ingredients that that perfumers can use, and they don't dilute it down. One of the problems with any of the 
big brands that uh, take perfume over Estee Lauder Group, for example, yeah. can buy out a small perfume company that were making very high quality perfumes and Estee Lauder looked to just to increase their profits. So the first yeah. thing that happens is the perfume gets reformulated, diluted yeah. down, the ingredients are cheapened. Yeah. Uh, that hasn't happened with Henri Jacques, okay. but he has gone commercial by having a store. So there's a certain element to um, profitability that needs to happen. So I don't know how they do that, but probably because they charge ridiculous. I mean, yeah. God, the average 15 mil bottle, mind you, that will last you years, yeah. uh, is sort of five, six, seven thousand dollars for a bottle. But that flick flack, click clack thing, whatever it's called, did I I think it's click clack, isn't it? Or I don't know what don't it is. Know. I've got a friend who might have bought one actually. Sound like a name that Richard Mill would come up with. Like flick flick flack. I don't know. I've got to check my friend's um my friend's IG page because she was just did I say she? I've just given it away. Oh. Um she was showing a picture of one. And uh, I'm hoping she hasn't actually bought it. Did she answer? Oh God, no, it's on her. Oh, I can't find it. It's on her reel or something. Oh, oh yeah, here we go. Did she buy this? <laughs> Did you get one? No, she didn't answer okay. me. Okay. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> Anybody in there? Nobody in their right mind spends thirty-six thousand on a perfume. Do they? You, you, you never know. Like uh, I think I think I know a few people that would spend a lot on uh because yeah. they call them frag heads, don't they? Like yeah, like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're yeah, 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 frag heads. Well, like, do belong to a little club, actually. Yeah, like <laughs> I'm because I'm 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 getting into it. And Are I, you? Yeah, yeah, because like you say, is it worth it? Is I think you should ask like, is perfumery can you see the value in it? And I, I think it's like um so underestimated the impression how you smell on that first thing it's oh, yeah. so subliminal that effect on that first meeting and um, like watches it there's a very distinct path yeah, you yeah. go through with in being a perfume or being a frag head and mm -hmm. um, that's very similar to watch collecting you're starting with the sort of entry level yeah pieces, then progressing up to yeah. what you think is kind of really good, like Creed Aventus. Yeah. Are you at the Creed Aventus stage or have you moved beyond that yet? I've got, I've, I've not got Aventus, but I've got two Creeds. So I've got Creed right. uh, Virgin Island Water and I've got okay. Himalaya. All right. So I would say the, those are more my daily ones. You're but still I've got like, <laughs> I've got like Narciso Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. 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 I've got um, that. I'm kind of like just working through the notes right now um definitely finding you know i'm more into boutique stuff i'm going through the gourmands actually right. got quite a few chocolates so yep. um yeah that that's really good I've, by killian so i'm looking at that right. as well so you're still uh, at the beginning level yet at the moment yeah. you're not, yeah, I'm not stage <laughs> it's funny you mentioned like the snobbery because already you know you kind of mentioned like the dirty word of reformulation you know <laughs> and, and how and how like uh Fragheads, yeah, they're all about the original, right to the original bottle, and you know, the, before it got purchased, and you know, once it's been reformulated, you know, it's not the same thing, and 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 I think I think some Tom Fords have been reformulated, right? Even oh, yeah, yeah, ones, sure they, and they, yeah. once they've been reformulated, I've noticed this, like the performance isn't there, like it lasts like literally not even an hour, 
obviously I know it, it everyone's different and it's how the, the the perfume takes to your skin and stuff and, and the heat and everything but like an hour seriously like this stuff should be you know for the really potent stuff you, it lasts for like six hours mm -hmm. so I'm slowly getting the, into it uh, one of the Didn't things know it was so expensive like it gets really expensive like all this kind of stuff but yeah i would say right now my go-to are virgin island water and tom ford's uh black orchid i'm a big fan of that i one. have that i've been using that since 2012 yeah i love that yeah. Yeah. guys have just ruined my turn the question around on on you oh, because no. actually yeah that was my question to you both was going to be I, what what is the fragrance you wear the most oh no but every day is different though but, by the way when you reach a certain level see this little little bottle here yeah. yeah this is a bottle of perfume oil this is actually a sandalwood oil yeah. but this this little bottle is about a three gram bottle and um, this is the level that my little perfume club and I there's about six of us in this club yeah. Yeah. two girls and then the rest of us are guys yeah. one is yeah. um, a Chinese American guy Another is a Taiwanese guy. There's me, and then a guy from Lebanon, and then uh, oh no, from Tunisia, sorry. And then uh, Chris, who's an Australian local, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. another girl who's a an English local. Mm -hmm. And we are just nuts about. Well, now we buy perfume oil from these individual perfumers. They're not things that are mainly widespread. Ah, yeah, yeah. Don't buy them in a shop. Yeah. But um, one of them is a guy called Ensar. You'll come across him eventually yeah. when you get into the Ouds and Ensar okay. Oud. And uh, the Jinko store is another one. This one comes from Dixit and Zach. Um, and this is the kind of thing we're, we're on now. So well, these I'm not are a big fan of Oud, I've got to be honest right now. I found it a bit sour. Oud is Oud. Oh, okay. But what do you <laughs> right. do at this point? Like, what do you guys meet up? Well, in the perfume club. Yeah. Oh God, we take over like, do you know the base hall and yeah. Jardine House? Yeah. We would take over a corner of that, and we would yeah. be getting out dozens of perfumes because they all bring the latest ones. We, yeah. we all bring the latest ones we bought. Yeah. We might have on the table. There's five or six of us there, yeah. uh, like twenty or thirty perfumes, and we're putting them on testers, spraying yeah. them, passing yeah. them around. Yeah. Yeah. People staring, yeah, wondering, wondering what earth yeah. is going on, plus the smell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. At a place where everyone's eating. <laughs> but, and we're all laughing and joking because we're having a whale of a time there as yeah. well. We've all got a kind of similar sense of humor. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's just hysterical, really, honestly. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I, I think it's, uh, I mean, I love it. Uh, yeah, it's just another thing for me to get into. I would say it is like cheaper than watches, but I yeah, do, but I do it, enjoy it a lot. Yeah, my a friend of mine spent 30, 37,000 Hong Kong dollars on a single bottle of perfume recently, um, from an English brand. So, yeah, and it, it, it's one where you'll get refills, uh, unlimited refills, but you buy it for the bottle because it's a collector's item. And so there are serious money gets uh, yeah. for yeah. some of the very exclusive perfumes. Yeah, he told me he gave me a little sample free. Yeah, oh, it's it's just the most amazing perfume I've ever smelled. <laughs> it's on like another level. 
Okay, l- l- let's bring it back to watches first. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't want to discuss this until later on, but like Dan, you did bring up Seiko, right? And about a month ago, we were just talking about Seiko, and then we openly talked about how we couldn't, me and Dan couldn't understand the hype. And I know on your Instagram, you constantly say you appreciate watches of all, you know, all prices and everything. Mm. So can you just help us understand, um, like, what is there about Seiko or Grand Seiko that me and Dan are missing? Like, why can't we feel the things that all these like Seiko fans are feeling? Oh, that's a difficult question, isn't it? Um, I, I, have a grand Seiko. I'm actually wearing one right now. Uh, I don't know if you can see that, but yeah. anyway. Um, and uh, this is a, actually, if I hold it up to the camera, you can probably see it a little bit easier. So that is um, a mechanical, uh, mechanical, uh, a manual wind movement. So that's the movement. Um, Relatively new, right? This this one is fairly new. I've had this for yeah. about six months. Yeah. Um, it's part of a, a a duet of watches for the international market. One of them has a very dark green dial. The other has this ice blue dial. What is it about them? Well, Grand Seiko are, I suppose, Japan's equivalent of, would I say Patek Philippe? Uh, Perhaps not really, but they're not far off in terms of the quality and the attention to detail that they put into their watches. Uh, the, The level of finishing is just on another scale the, the zaratsu polishing all their watch cases are polished by hand and they're not even rolex bothered to do that these days mm-hmm. um they used to but not anymore where all grand seiko's watches are polished by hand the movements are all assembled by i don't know if it's one person they're not production like type production like the way rolex is but um I won't, I don't know if they're all individually assembled by one person from start to finish that much. I don't know. But the sheer quality of this, it's not got engalage and beveled um, edgings on there, but but it's, I mean, that's about the only thing it doesn't have. It's hard to put it into words, um, mm. but these are every bit as good as any of the best of the, the sort of the more mainstream Swiss watches are certainly if you were to compare this to an IWC, it's league light years oh, yeah. ahead of IWC. So um, hmm. um, with Seiko, the more routine, uh, no, that's not the right way, edit that bit out. Uh, with Seiko, the more routine, more routine what? Um, Seiko, yeah, I mean, Seiko, I think the problem with Seiko is they produce too many watches. So the, they have this, uh, image of just being cheap and disposable yeah. which many of the bottom end of their watches are but once you start getting into the the Seiko presage line anything is sort of a you know four or five thousand Hong Kong dollars can get you a, a pretty damn good watch if you just want mm-hmm. something not the divers watches because the Seiko divers are, are should be kept on one side but I've got um because they're you know they're very popular and lots of people will buy a Seiko diver watch because yeah. diver watches sort of are a multi-purpose watch, aren't they? But yeah. some of their more interesting pieces, I've got one which is called the Ricky Watanabe mm. watch. It has a Grand Fur, uh, no, not Grand Fur. It has an enamel dial. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and for six thousand Hong Kong dollars, I've got an enamel dial watch with a reasonably decent quality movement, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. a tribute to Ricky Watanabe, who's the famous Japanese designer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a lot of watch for not very much money. Mm-hmm. It even comes with a shell cordovan strap mm-hmm. for six thousand Hong Kong dollars. I mean, it's crazy cheap. Yeah, so I think I think you're hitting the nail on the you know on the head here because I find that the narrative for Grand Seiko or Seiko has been look what you can get for this money, right? That that seems to be a very strong narrative when people are trying to quote unquote sell me Seiko or Grand Seiko. Say look what you can get for X amount of money, yeah. And what that really is implying is look how cheap you can get this for because I can't afford. <laughs> like or because i don't you know you know what i mean i'm trying to do it on the cheap right with Seiko, i don't yeah. really res- yeah, yeah i don't resonate with that like i i don't want that to be the reason why i've got a watch is because i can't get it from a swiss brand and then you and then the, and then the argument goes ah yeah but it's it's like the same quality though yeah but it, you know what i mean like everything you've said about seiko i'm not and i know you're not trying to convince me to do it but to get one but it it's the same thing isn't it like it's it's no you never get that romanticism with it like i wish you could pull out like just more strong resonating stories with a particular kind of model and maybe like you say it is the fact that there's so many so many many pieces Mm. i think grand seiko i think you have to separate them off well i mean they are separate anyway um and in fact, I think the company is sort of separate, is trying to separate them further, aren't they, at the mm-hmm. moment? Um, and Grand Seiko are, you know, Japan, the Japanese have a very proud history of watchmaking and that goes back a long way. And lest we forget uh, the effect Japanese watchmaking had on the Swiss back in the 60s. Um, similarly, Japanese motorbikes uh, use uh, British motorbikes uh, in the I suppose in the 60s as well, actually. Yeah, the, the British were caught sleeping, thinking that their product was superior and nobody in the world would ever make a motorbike as good as you know, a Triumph or a BSA or a Norton. But they did, Suzuki and Kawasaki and Honda. Yeah. Uh, and they decimated the British motorbike industry by making bikes that were exciting to ride and were, dare I say, dangerous to ride as well. They, they were actually, a lot of them. Uh, but it added a, a new element of excitement that British bikes were lacking. And I think this, the Swiss watch industry probably was similar back in the 60s. It just got itself into a, a rut of, of, of uh, taking themselves for granted that they were the best. And then along come the Japanese with this watch that I don't think they ever intended to launch internationally anyway. It was only because the Swiss snubbed them at these various chronometer competitions mm-hmm that they even launched the, was it the Astron, um, was the watch that changed the face of everything. Because mm. the arrogance of the Swiss in sort of dismissing the Japanese as insignificant. Mm-hmm. And who were they to dare to enter their chronometer competitions? But the competition was open, so they mm. could. Um, I think Grand Seiko today, I must admit, many of the Grand Seikers I don't particularly like, they have this styling and that's the appeal, I think, for most people is this thing called grammar of design. Okay. And it follows a very 
particular sense of style that you either like or you don't like. Mm-hmm. My two Grand Seikos that I've had both have a much more Western style to them. The cases are more traditional. They don't have these angular lug shapes. But I think Grand Seiko have a very unique identity in their grammar of design. And their dials are just utterly beautiful. The, mm-hmm. the, the snowflake dial, I'm sure you've seen those before. It just utterly beautiful and the Swiss don't make anything like it Mm. so I think Japanese watchmaking adds to the portfolio of watches it's not trying to replace anything the Swiss do Mm -hmm. they are their own thing Um, and um, yeah this particular watch I have um, it's just beautiful the value for money is Mm. is undeniable Mm -hmm. but that's not why I bought it I bought it because it's really beautiful to look at yeah. The value for money is is a icing on the cake, so to speak. Okay. Mm-hmm. I actually forgot to say this. <laughs> yeah, but I actually have a Seiko. That right. I kind of like, you know, the other day I was still talking, I think about the podcast and the kind of feedback we've got about Seiko. And I thought, shit, I've actually got one, <laughs> right? And I've got, and, and I'll talk about the the romanticism and the story, right? The The one I've got, it's a Seiko Pogue, the 6139 in yellow, di- you know, yellow sunburst dial, right? right? And in one of the rare configurations with even one of the rare bracelets that it came in with at the time. And before you say it, I do know that the yellow dial isn't the rarest. I think, you know, the silver dial is or something. But, you know, it has the um, proof dial and, you know, on the print, on, on, you know, and, and even on the, the case back, it says uh, proof as well. So, but that has a great story, right? And I, I thought that is just such a cool story. And that, that's also what convinced me to, to buy it, you know? So hands up, I do actually have one. Uh, no, I get that as well, because yeah, that, that watch is from where? The 70s, is it? Yeah, I'm just, I had to Yeah, yeah, it. It, was, um, <laughs> it was during that uh, chronograph, automatic chronograph race yeah. between um, Boulevard and uh, Zenith. Right, yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, right. and so okay. nobody really knows. Obviously, Zenith, you know, obviously with the El Primero, the first one, have kind of claimed that they were the first, but... By a matter you know, of arguable... Well, it's not even fully right. clear because yeah, the 6139, right. the piece I have, there's actually two configurations on the movement. There's like a 6139A and a 6139B movement, and the Bs are one after. So it seems like Seiko was aware of the race. They quickly rushed out a, well, not quickly. This is, by the way, just me assuming. They came out with a movement that had a, like less jewels, might have been some issues, and then that got superseded very quickly with a 6139B. So any, any Pogue with a 6139A is rarer. Do you know it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me given that that was around the time that the the Astron debacle was was rearing its head the the watches the mechanical watches they'd submitted for the chronometer competition I'm not sure which ones they were maybe this was one of them I don't know but uh, yeah it wouldn't surprise me if they were rushing to get something to try to beat Zenith and maybe they did actually because as you say it is questionable whether Zenith mm. really did. Whether they fully yeah exactly it wasn't that. like there was an hadinki back in the time you know so anybody yeah. that got onto the dinky first made it first so nobody yeah. really kind of knows but do you actually know the 
Pogue story. Do you know why it's called the Pogue, Mark? No, I don't. I, I'm totally... All right, okay. So this watch is actually named after Sir Colonel William Pogue. Right. That was an astronaut. Okay. And uh, the story goes that obviously anybody working for NASA, they get commissioned the NASA, uh, the Omega Speedmaster, right? But yeah. what happened was, uh, my understanding is they commission it to you just before you're about to fly or so they give it to you. Right. And he went down the local store and bought a cheaper watch so that he could time his fuel bursts with the chronograph. So he right. picked up this Seiko. And when it come to fly, like take off, I can't remember which mission it was. He felt more comfortable using the Pogue, like the 613 and the Seiko, than the uh, Omega Seamaster, Speedmaster because he was used to seeing the display on the Seiko. Yeah, which so what he did cool. was yeah. he didn't like claim it because you're supposed to like write everything down or declare it before you fly. He didn't, and he shoved it down his like spacesuit in the leg pocket, and he, and the, and so the so so the, so the watch went to the moon or went went into space. Sorry, and um, he never took it out. He never had to use it, but yeah, that that's that's the story of that watch. And um, actually, the his watch actually went for auction um, not that long ago, actually, uh, and it didn't go for very much. Actually, and I think it might have been a you know. A, uh, probably whoever won that would be worth it was completely beat up but you know where where the investment because so that's why it's called the pogue i'm looking at one now that's 29 us dollars that can't be right no nah, that's not right mate <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely not right yeah but anyway maybe that's that's the opening bid no there's a there's a yeah i, I wasn't aware of this at all i think these are what are these prices? $38. You've got to be joking. And then, and then and the thing with the proof dial and the resist dial, right? So it comes with print on the dial. Some say proof, some say resist, and some say nothing at all. Right. And yeah. this was when like international nomenclature was coming in. So things are not waterproof, they are water resistant. So Seiko had put in typed in proof. Right. right. And then they got told, I think, to correct it. And so they then had to change the word to resist. Right. So instead of saying 70 meters proof, it was centimeters. So the proof dials are also very collectible because they were the first ones. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite amazed, actually, that the, these prices are thirty eight dollars, thirty nine dollars, thirty eight dollars. Please don't try and, you know, put the price of my poke down on the podcast <laughs> like I am, you know, there might be one day I look to sell it. So, you know, don't drag it down in the mud. I can't understand why they're so ridiculously cheap because yeah. these are fully mechanical. This is, this is, time, this is time for you to, ah, oh, I've missed five zeros. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, that, that's an interesting story. And I didn't know that. I should know that, actually. Um, I, I, I must admit that with the Grand Seiko, I've got, there's no story with many of my watches, actually. Few of them really have a story other than I see them and I just fall in love with them and then want to buy them. I, in fact, I was recently, I recently bought a Louis Erard. Mm. It's not very expensive. And Louis Erard used just ordinary Salita movements, but at least they're decorated a little bit nicer and they do go to some trouble to make them look different but anyway um i follow a guy called horror surgeon on mm. ig he's quite well known and he's uh, actually a surgeon from chicago he's got an enormous collection 
and he's got some seriously expensive watches in his collection, but he also has some very ordinary cheap watches in them as well. And he had this Louis Aram when I was thinking about buying it. He posted pictures of it on his IG and I messaged him and said, why do you, when you've got such an extensive collection as, as what you have, he's got FP Jean's, Langer, Langer Zeitwerks, Datagraphs, everything you could think of. Why do you have this Louis Aram? And do you wear it? And he said, yeah, I do. He said, I wear it quite often. He said, I have it because I like it. That's it. It's as simple as that. And I thought, he's my kind of guy because he justified it for me immediately. And I immediately placed my order. And three days later, it arrived. It was really quick service as well. But that's the thing. The Grand Seiko too, I have it because it's just a beautiful watch. The finishing of the, the dial, I mean, that's what they're really all about the hands are beautifully finished the dial is just amazing to look at mm -hmm. the movement whilst it's not hand finished it is still done with an obvious sense of pride in, in its production and that's what speaks to me i also have another little strange curious japanese brand called minase um actually Shinzo Abe, Abe Shinzo Abe sorry had one uh, of the same watch which is has this most unusual way of manufacturing. It's a very industrial approach and they only produce about five to 700 pieces a year. Yeah. So they're a little independent watch brand, but they use off the shelf movements. Ironically, they use a Swiss movement in a Japanese watch. It's quite but loud it's, watch. Sorry? It's quite loud, the dial, like the shade of the blue that they use. The purple one, yeah, that's the one I've got. They don't just do that. There are other colors oh, okay. available as okay. well. They have a range of colors and a range of different styles. I actually bought mine pre-owned and it was yeah. very cheap as well. Yeah. Um, would I buy one at the full price brand new? Yes, I would now because I've had that one and I kind of have it because you can't look at these things. I don't think there's anybody. I think there's one shop that retails them in Hong Kong, but they're not an official dealer. They're kind of like a grey market dealer sort of thing. But um, so you can't really try them on and look at them first. You have to take a chance. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, they're a little bit quirky and that's what I like. Um, but they're passionate. They're really passionate. Their, their story is amazing, actually. Um, and that's what appealed to me, the company's story. Okay. Yeah, I, Long, I, I was like on Instagram the other day, right? And I came on across that brand you were talking about, um, Kikuchi Nakagawa. Yeah, isn't it beautiful? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, and then I saw like this picture and I clicked into it. And I thought, <laughs> you know, you get that reassurance when your friend likes it and your name was yeah. there. And I was I, like, like, she, she likes it. I'm on every one yeah. of the posts. I'm like, like liking it. <laughs> I, I'm like, dude, that place. is like hot. Like it's looks, it looks thin. It looks like a right? By the way, it looks like a paddock to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. that black dial, and even the like the silver looking dial or white mm -hmm. dial as he puts oh. it, they're both like just smoking. How much are these? Um, and they're about 150,000, aren't they? Yeah, Something like yeah. that. Yeah, but the currency. Yeah. And then, yeah. And I haven't seen it in real life, but if I can see one in Japan, like, yeah, I definitely want to see one. And what currency are we talking about? Uh, so HPD about it. Wait, it's very clear. It's on the website. I remember. And I looked at this and I remember thinking, oh, the price is okay. It's just oh, okay. So it's not USD then when you said 150,000 USD. No, 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 no. It's, it's JP. It, that's a hunt. That's Hong Kong dollars. 
Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I think it's something like that. But it, the problem is the insane wait list he's got. It's yeah. it's ten years. Yeah. Ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, man. I won't live that long. I don't I think. Mean, but. Yeah, and it's like, where am I going to be? Will I even remember I put in this order? That's the thing. And if I were to pay a deposit on it, my wife wouldn't get that money back when I die. If, you know, because she wouldn't. <laughs> so, oh, all, that's all got to go as the waiting list. That's like the episode caption. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 10 years, it's insane. Apparently, he's taking on another watchmaker to try and reduce that, though. Yeah, to five years? <laughs> yeah, something, well... <laughs> But it's going to take 10 years to train the other watchmaker, surely. Yeah. So that he can then make watch. And then it's no longer a Kikuchi Nakagawa, is it? If you have another watchmaker making it. Because isn't, isn't the thing about him is he individually makes each watch. And this is a problem for all independent watchmakers. Once yeah. they expand yeah. and take on other watchmakers, is it then him anymore? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's you could say like... Defraud. We interviewed Roger Smith, didn't we? Like um, about a month ago, and he oversees everything, so everything has to pass by his eyes. But you know, he's not doing everything. Yeah. No, but yeah, I guess I'm not sure. Would I be buying a Smith for it to be him that's made every single component? Because I already know he has a workshop with with quite yeah. a few employees, doesn't he? Yeah. But when you're talking about a one. But like Philippe Dufour at the moment has is doing a great job of promoting Danielle mm-hmm. as being his heir and successor, and she's doing a great job herself taking taking over the the mantle. I think it's it's different for for them, mm. but for somebody like Nakagawa, who's not really that well known, you're buying a Nakagawa because it's him, yeah, Just not because it's his apprentice. Yeah, it, I, I like it. A lot. Yeah. Like they are. They are a beautiful watch though. But yeah. but then so is a Furland Mary. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Each to their own. Yeah, I've poisoned <laughs> you. But you haven't you haven't um, gone for Furland Mary? Look, 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 I mean we can just deal with one brand like that, and that's called Seiko in per episode, okay? So don't try and get me onto <laughs> Furlan Mary, okay? We'll leave that to another episode, damn it. Yeah. Okay, so Mark, you kind of yes. answered my final question for you but I just want to clarify again because when I look at your um I guess I when I look at your feed there isn't something very consistent in how you collect um there isn't like a certain time period there isn't a complication so I'm assuming that you buy things that just make you feel something you see something you like it and then you go for it yeah I think that's I've often asked this question of myself what where what direction am I going in and I've had several directions in the past i had a vintage rolex thing mm-hmm. for a while but that's a a lesson that can be an expensive lesson in mistakes and uh and can leave can leave a bad taste in your mouth if you get it wrong and i did big time i bought watches that were that were bits of this and bits of that uh mm-hmm. and i learned a big lesson and it put me off rolex to some degree mm-hmm. if you can't afford to buy the very best then don't bother unless you're prepared to accept that that they may not be what you think they are and then i've kind of i don't know i've lacked any direction in particular i'm not sure if that matters actually and i think you know, with with horror surgeon his thing was i 
buy what I like. I mean, sure, he can afford to buy some very exotic things that he likes, but he doesn't always buy exotic watches. And he see, he finds pleasure in affordable things as well. And definitely for me, that's that's where I've ended up. I do have a Patek. I only have one, but you know, one's one's enough for most people. And I'm lucky to have that one. Mm. Um, and I have this six thousand dollar Seiko at the other opposite end of the scale as well. Mm. Uh, I don't wear it very often, but it just how did because it's just amazing to look at it. This enamel dial, and the dial is made by one man, who's mm. who's a master enamelist. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the appeal for that. So it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Um, I have I have other watches that are very expensive, but they're a bit boring at the same time. So yeah, I think I think those collectors which collect the full range always hold a different. Like to me, at least, I, I do admire those people. You know, I, I definitely just as you know, when I first got into watches, somebody infused me with their passion about watches. Mm. When I see a collector that is humble enough to collect across the whole range. And have no problem doing so it, I, I have that kind of respect that they can do that you know like yeah. it's just something that really resonates with me about i think that. too many collectors and certainly in the, the horology club there's an element of this chase a certain watch just because of the name without really knowing why they want that watch mm -hmm. and it's just i've noticed at the moment whenever you mention the name fp jean Everybody mm. immediately swoons and faints, yeah. and that's Bijon. But why did did you like F. Bijon ten years ago? No, they'd never even heard of him ten years yeah. ago yeah. when he yeah. was really. So the the people I really admire are, I mean, like Steve Halleck is a guy in a, in the states who just posted up a picture of his three first independent watches he got into twenty years ago. Yeah. One of them was an Uwerk, another one was an FP Jean, and the other one, um, I, I can't, I can't remember which one it was now. But it was, um, you know, he was. I wished I'd been into independent watch brands back then because that's the direction I'm kind of leaning towards. Mm -hmm. But many of them are just, you know, I can't afford them. The Grubel Forcey is a for me an end game watch, but I could never afford to buy one. So it will forever. I think you make a good point as well. You know that you're fortunate to have a Patek and for most of us that that's enough. Yeah. And sometimes we live in this bubble where honestly, some of our friends, they collect Patek like you've gone down to the candy shop um, Yes, and we lose kind of perspective, but we're talking for most people to spend that much on a watch, a single watch. You know, it is kind of true. Like a single Patek. Yeah. It, it, a lot of, a lot of uh, what that brand produces, the essence of that brand is in the watch, right? Like yeah, in many of their watches. And if you have one of them, and I, I, you know, I think the Calatrava is an amazing watch to have, you know, it just works for everything. So well, this is how passionate I am. I sold my FP Jean to buy the Patek. Yeah. Right. Actually, not quite as simple as that, but <laughs> I <Yeah. laughs> I didn't actually that because I every time I see they've got one that I had the Havana dial chronometry Suvaram. Mm. And I think one of the problems with my job is that when I handle uh, resonances, I've handled tourbillons. I've had a black label tourbillon, the, the vertical tourbillon mm. in the shop as well on my wrist from a customer. I've actually had a Roger Smith in my shop as well on my wrist. Mm. And what I really want is those, but I, 
couldn't afford it. And I kind of had to settle for a chronometry souverain. That sounds very pompous. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of like getting bronze at the Olympics when you really <laughs> wanted gold. And bronze, well, it, bronze is okay. And you're on the dais and you're on the podium, uh, but it's, it's not the gold. Yeah. And I think the problem for me was I should never have bought what is, after all, an entry-level piece mm-hmm. with, with the expectation it was going to fill my dreams and ambitions because it didn't. And it was a bit of a disappointment, actually, if I'm mm-hmm. honest. And I ended up selling it because there were issues with it. It didn't sit on my wrist very well. It wasn't reliable. Don't, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not reliable. Um, And that's why I ended up getting the Patek instead, but I didn't sell it to get the Patek. What what Patek did you get? I actually got a 5960, um, the first generation 5960 with the gray dial. So it's the annual uh, annual calendar uh, uh, chronograph, flyback chronograph. it is a beautiful watch. It's a watch yeah. that whenever I saw one come into the shop, which occasionally you did, it's one I've always thought, wow, that's a truly beautiful. It's more than an entry-level Patek piece. Yeah. It was a similar price to the Jean, actually. So uh, it was a kind of a sideways yeah. financial trade at the time, although the Jean went ballistic more recently. <laughs> I know Austin was selling one for like three times what I, I actually paid for this. Mm-hmm. this is just staggering it's not worth it they're not worth that much so um my 5960 is nice though sorry like 5960 patek oh, yeah. the annual calendar chrono it came in like white black blue i think and also a leicester city edition as well That's, yeah they did that one as well but those that was the steel one yeah um, yes. The, mine was the first one in platinum, which they did for until 20, 2006, it came out, 2014, it was yeah. discontinued and replaced with the white gold version that you might even still see the odd new old stock piece in some dealers. Yeah. Um, the steel ones came in the, in the later two, uh, 2016, wasn't it? Something like that, I think. And there was the black dial, the white dial and the Leicester City version. Mm-hmm. Um, the black dial is nice, in my opinion. They're not the, the the original one for me is the best one. Yeah. Okay. Platinum case with the dials more simple. There was a blue dial version of mine as well, which is really nice. Right. But yeah, I, it, it's a watch I still have. I still love it. I wear it I, not as often as I did because my collection has grown a little bit over the past couple of years. But um, yeah. uh, it's still a watch I have, and and crucially fits me very well. So it's comfortable to wear. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good size aesthetically. It, it's yeah, not yeah. got the hype of a, like a Nautilus and it's not got the hype of a Patek Grand Comp, but just very accomplished watch. And it's not obvious what it is. You yeah, can yeah, press exactly. it down, put different yeah. straps on it and yeah, you can yeah. look like a different watch. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I do love it a lot, actually. Yeah, I miss the Jean as well at times, but, but not always. I think the pump pushes on it. Are a nice touch as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. The case, the proportions of the case, and the way yeah. it's done with that, um, right. yeah. the bezel is concave, so it it makes the watch look a lot smaller than it actually is, because mm. it's forty point five mil, but it wears like a thirty nine. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I hope Size you enjoy that. No, it, it's interesting because we never really get to talk about your watches. Like whenever I come and see you, I feel like it. We have 
it's like so much energy, so much we need to talk about. And it kind of just goes all over the place. But I've never said, hey, tell me about what's happening with your collection. And yeah, it was really nice hearing this. So we obviously answered one part of the reverso question about the perfume. Do you have another question? Damn, no, that was the only one I'd got. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. So we just I mean, answered so long, Would you say... Problem. Long, would you say black orchid is what, what you're wearing daily or is it? No, is it's it? not. I've, I buy it's so polarizing. many. Sorry? Black I orchid is quite polarizing. Like uh, not everybody it's very is. heavy. So, um, but on the skin after like four hours, it turns like for me anyways, it turns really sweet because there's like a coconut kind of uh, undertone to it. Right. So um, I usually like pair it with something else, but it is really heavy. Okay. Yeah. So what would you say your go-to is then daily? I actually recently, this is strange. There, there was a store in Hong Kong, Mark. I'm sure you know about the store. It's called a Perfume Trust. Perfumery Trust. Yeah. yeah. So it used to be in Shenwan and then they yeah, sure. subsequently, I, I think they moved or I don't know. Um, so She's I used- got two shops now. Oh, okay. So he still has the one in Elements yeah. and one in Landmark. Okay, so I used to buy a lot from them. So this guy, he just brings in a bunch of brands. I don't even think this is that level that Mark you're talking about, which is even more micro brands. But I would say this is at least a little better than like mass market, any anything off the shelf. Yeah, she's she's the next step up yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I basically go in there and I'm like, never seen this bottle before, never heard of this brand, and then I'll just pick it up. So I just start, started uh-huh. buying a lot of stuff from them. Um, and then more recently, I was like, I must smell really weird. I like, cause when you walk past some girls in Hong Kong and you like, you, you get a whiff of something, right. And you're like, oh, that smells pleasant. And I've never been one of those people that it's like, oh, it smells feminine and pleasant. It's just weird. Cause I've been like mixing <laughs> so many things cause it's just exotic and stuff, but I probably smell like a man or something really different. So recently I'm more like, okay, maybe it's time to just buy like off the shelf and normal and like normal smells. Yeah. So Pauline, who runs Perfumery Trezor, she's she's, uh, very passionate about her perfume as an independent brand. So she sells independent stuff that is not usual here, especially in Hong Kong as well, because fragrance is is a... um, people are just beginning to discover fragrances i think in hong kong it's not normally a traditional thing especially because it's so hot here all the time yeah, as well yeah. um but she, uh, one of the brands she sells um was a brand that sort of became big in the around the time of Lehman brothers actually it was a yeah. wall street brash brand from italy called zerjoff yeah ah, that's yeah. a company you should some of their fragrances are legendary and uh, and amazing, I will say. And that's the kind of where I and my little perfume club, we sort of, you end up at Zerjoff and then you start yeah. looking, well, what's after that? Because yeah. the quality yeah. of Zerjoff and similar other brands is about as high as it gets. Mm. Now you have to start looking at little individual perfumers. Mm-hmm. So hence uh, Ensar, but they can be, I mean, if you think Zerjoff is expensive, Ensar a spray of Ensar can cost a little bottle rather, sorry, of spray can cost a couple of thousand US dollars. Okay. But this, um, yeah. So I always thought about this because skincare can be really expensive. 
Yeah. I used to think these things called toners, which are essentially just like um, water that balances the pH level on your skin, right? That you put onto mm. a cotton pad and wipe your face with. I would be like, okay, $1, $2, like every single drop was money, right? And I used to think, can you like, is it really worth it? And then the thing about perfume, which I find kind of funny is I could be using the most expensive perfume because um, you're thinking to yourself, I want every day to be the best day. I want um, like, I want to live my best life, but yet I'm wearing clothes that look like I'm a trash collector and it's like, <laughs> and then a trash collector look. So I always thought that was weird. Yeah. I think one of the dangers with perfume, and it's the, there is definitely a parallel with watches, certainly for me anyway, and I'm sure a lot of us identify with that, but I have an addictive personality. I know I do. Yeah. And one of the problems with perfume is that you buy a bottle of perfume, say, and you spend yeah. a couple of thousand Hong Kong dollars on it. You wear it once or twice, but then you're looking for the next thing that smells <laughs> better than that. Yeah. So yeah. then... So similarly with watches, you wear the next watch, yeah. you've just bought once or twice, but then you buy another one that's better for whatever mm. reason that might yeah. be. And the one you had, you no longer wear. And similarly with perfume, this is for sure. I probably got 50 or 60 perfumes, I guess. Yeah. And many of them I don't wear anymore because I've been buying these not necessarily more expensive, but, yeah. but what I consider to be better. And I so, actually, yeah. I actually have a tip for like, um, if you feel bad about the perfume, you can't finish. I find like a tiny, um, I would say a soft toy. Some, it's not, you can just get any random soft toy. And then you spray the soft toy with the perfume. And then I leave it in the drawers, like with my socks, underwear and everything. So every time you open it, it just smells good. Like, I can't do that. My wife hates perfume. Oh. <laughs> Most, of the time. <laughs> Most of the time she says I smell. I, I really, I'm cho-cho. Cho-cho, curry. She thinks I've got some perfumes from which are oud-based that do yeah. have a sort of curry-like smell. Interesting. But, but yeah. she thinks they all smell of curry when they don't. They just do not. But, um, <laughs> yeah, um, she doesn't wear any perfume either. Right. So this is a very solitary hobby for me. And sometimes I get, um, she's very upset by some of the perfumes I wear. Very <laughs> upset. Some of them can smell, you know, you know, when you, I, you might need to edit this out, but you know, when you get an itchy bum and you have to do something about it, some of them can really smell like that. Right. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, okay, that's that's perfect. You might want to edit that, yeah. Um, perfect to move into our quick fire round now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> perfect end to the room. Yeah, we need to get this guy off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This might not actually make it to air. Might not. <laughs> okay. First question. So Ooh. going back to your Instagram profile description, you do yeah. write absolutely nothing is for sale unless the price yeah. is right. So yeah. is there a piece that you either want or you already own that just has no price oh uh yeah the langer actually the langer watch i bought uh there is quite a story i did mention that at the beginning of the chat. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh the pocket watch my dad gave me um when i came to hong kong uh 
which was 11 years ago, we had a, fair, a sort of a farewell dinner with my mum and dad. Mm -hmm. And he handed me the pocket watch that was his grandfather's, my great grandfather's, that I used to steal and take to school when I was a kid. And the reason he gave that to me was because my brother and I confessed our sins some mm -hmm. years ago now. Yeah. And I that was one of the things I confessed that I used to go into their bedroom and I would take the pocket watch to school with me. So he kind of played the, mm. the joke back on me, if you like. But I was I was um, because he also knew by this time I was into watches anyway. So yeah. it was a thing. So um, I'd had this pocket watch. I wore it at my wedding and it sits in a drawer, sort of kind of not really able to use it mm -hmm. because of what it is. And more recently, I decided to buy a Langer 1815 time only yeah. um, as a kind of a wearable version of the pocket watch because the two are directly yeah. related to each other. The design is very similar. The movement is very similar and so on. So I got this watch from a dealer in the US. And um, um, when I bought it, the, the watch that I'd arranged to buy had a US uh, marked warranty book and uh, and was a US originating watch. And the watch that arrived was different. It wasn't the same watch. And it had a Hong Kong dealer's stamp in the dealer in the warranty book, but the box wasn't in the same condition. Now that's relevant because my great granddad bought that pocket watch brand new in 1912. So just over 110 years ago, and it survived two world wars. And in particular survived the second world war where my grandfather and my father were refugees from Germany. Mm -hmm. And my grandfather and grandmother's story of survival, plus my father, who was a kinder transport, is something quite, quite remarkable, quite honestly. My grandmother's story of survival was just, it's just quite unbelievable what she went through. So that watch survived a huge amount of trauma and, and so on. And uh, so when I saw that this watch had come from Hong Kong originally, and I have the pocket watch in Hong Kong, it seemed like, well, because I was going to complain to the dealer that this isn't the watch that I thought I was buying. I did complain to him and he apologized and said it was a, a, a different one. There'd been a mix up. Um, and the next day it stopped working as well. So now I was in a bigger dilemma. What do I do? Um, the dealer was very gracious and offered to pay for a full Langer service. So that's what happened. The watch went to Langer to get service. And in the meantime, my father had been taken into hospital. Um, he was quite ill with um, sort of degenerative heart disease. Uh, and I, I think, I'm not sure actually why else. He had a fall and he was taken into hospital after a fall. But it was one of those situations where you knew he wasn't coming out. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I, obviously I wasn't there to see all this. My brother was having to deal with this. But meanwhile, Langer gave me the call to say that my watch has finished and it's ready to pick up. Mm -hmm. So I go to the boutique to, to collect it. And while I'm there, I'm just talking to them and I'm saying, you know, wouldn't it be the worst thing ever if today I got the call? I explained to them my dad was in hospital. Anyway, sure enough, that evening um, I got the call to say my dad had passed away on the day I get this watch back yeah. from service. Now, it's only a coincidence, yeah. of course. I don't believe in, in paranormal or anything like that or whatever. But, but what a strange coincidence, nonetheless. Yeah. And it's added a, 
an absolute poignancy to that watch that means I cannot ever sell it. it it's just mm. got to stay in the family to accompany the pocket watch. So mm. when I die, I mean, I'll leave it to my nephew yeah. or something like that. So that can carry that on. So that's the one watch I okay. wouldn't ever sell. One person you would like to meet, dead or alive? God, George Daniels. And then I wouldn't know what to say to him. And he probably wouldn't want to meet me anyway. He'd think I was an idiot. Uh, but yeah. Okay. Best thing about living in Hong Kong? All the watches, man. I mean, it's... Uh, um, and it's safe. Um, you can wear... You know, sad to say that London these days is not a safe place to wear a luxury watch. But here we can at least enjoy, enjoy our passion without have fear of having it stolen. Mm. so far one thing you would like to change about the watch industry service times <laughs> all right it can sometimes be uh you know six months a watch can be away for being serviced which is just ridiculous mm. um and and the gray market i'd like to see that be deflated yeah most bizarre watch strap choice you have seen? Oh, most bizarre watch strap choice. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, a guy wanted a lime green strap making for a watch that had a, a red dial. It was, it's a kind of color combination that does kind of work, but. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> yeah, but I can't remember what the watch was. Gosh, I've it seen really it doesn't work. Yeah, basically, it, doesn't <laughs> it really work. didn't look right. But anyway, he liked it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> customer is always right unless they're wrong. That's for sure. <laughs> Final question: One underrated watch that we should all be looking at. Grand Seiko. Yeah, I knew you were going to say mm. that. I knew um, it. I knew it. I knew it. There's too many. There's too many, to be mm. honest. But I think I think Grand Seiko should be looked at with a different lens. And the Code 1159 shouldn't be hated as well, because that actually <laughs> is a great watch. Okay. Okay. Good. So thank you, Mark. Um, this rounds up our interview. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I'm not sure if I... Did you guys justice actually but um anyway i have to say thank you for uh sharing the langy story yeah, yeah that was uh, yeah that very... one is quite special actually yeah. yeah yeah that's a very i mean long long quickly went on to the next question but <laughs> i was no, like because it's like such an amazing story i don't want to like reply something stupid <laughs> uh, no but it, it, it's the only watch i have that that really does have a genuine story and when you know when you talk about a collecting journey and my lack of direction in many ways that one is mm. at least i can talk about that with some some feeling you know for sure how do you feel when you wear it um i it it's funny i i, I haven't been as emotionally affected by this as my brother has and certainly my mum. i think because i've been in hong kong for 11 years and i i had a difficult relationship with my dad anyway so it made it a little bit easier to deal with it being physically removed as well. So when I wear it, I, I look at 
the effect the the one the bit of affection I do have for him. I don't I don't look at it and think of the negative side of my relationship with him, um, which wasn't as bad. I mean, he wasn't he didn't you know wasn't violent or aggressive or abusive or anything like that. There was just a, an intellectual side of him that I felt I didn't measure up to, and I felt that he judged me on. But whether he did or not, I don't think he did. But you always you always mm. feel. Um, mm. sometimes you feel things that aren't necessarily true but that's mm. the nature of father and son relationships probably because we're too similar my wife would say that <laughs> you know, like yeah <laughs> uh, anyway yeah um so i i feel i, I look at it and, and feel affection all right great so thank you all for tuning in um if you want to find mark on ig his handle is at watch crazy ham of course, don't reply if that kind of like scam uh, message comes up again. And then as always, you can find me, Dan and Jack on the Waiting List podcast IG page. Please like and subscribe and we will see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye Thanks very much. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.